Well, one Puritan writer said this about uh, scriptures that have been preached previously, but preached again. He says this, there were further gleanings that they could obtain from that particular crop. That's how they used to say, uh, when somebody repeats themselves when they do a sermon, or uh, maybe even uh, speaking of uh, the book of 1 John. It's interesting, Paul uh, is very lawyer-like, isn't he? Point by point by point by point. John's nothing like that. Who here is more creative or musically oriented or painter or poetry? Uh, They told me, oh, nobody raises their hand, okay. You folks need to develop your, is it right brain? Okay, right brain, all right. So right brain, John's more right-brained. John's arguments, they blend in. I can't even imagine John putting together an outline. It just doesn't seem there's any sort of outline to his, his letter here, and yet, by the Holy Spirit, it's purposeful. It's a blending. It's, he seems to glide from one topic to the next and then keep bringing it back up. It's, way, it's significantly different than when you read Paul. Paul, foundational argument, foundational argument. Build upon that, build upon that. Cite the resource, cite the uh, scripture, uh, etc., and come to a persuasive conclusion. John, you have to kind of read it and read it again, and there's a temptation, I think. I think there's a temptation to start to ignore what he's saying because... He repeats himself so much. But remember, it's Holy Spirit-driven. And so there is something here, I think, that Paul's making the point to. One of the things I hope that you'll see about Paul, or Paul, John, I hope you'll see about John, is how much he cares. He's a shepherd in the real truest sense of the word, this old man who's been through all of these things, including being boiled in oil, being sent over to prison camp on the Isle of Patmos, just for proclaiming the name of the Lord, just traveling around. He's, the, he's a shepherd in the truest sense of the word and that he cares. You, you can hear in his artistic way of putting this letter together as God uses his his own personality to produce what God wants to produce. Now, there's a sermon there, folks. Paul's way different than John, and they're all striving for the same purpose. God uses your personality. So what if you're left-brained or right-brained? God can use you. One's not better than the other, so there's a sermon there. But he's a shepherd in the greatest sense of the word. He cares. He wants his folks who are reading this letter, including us, to quote-unquote get it. And so you might think, well, he's repeating himself, when in reality I think he's making an argument based on the way that he thinks. Isn't that lovely? So he says this, and then I'll pray again. I'm going to read to you. Uh, just uh, to 13, although we're going to cover the whole chapter. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Remember, he's combating Gnostics who have bad theology. We'll talk about that and we'll see it here. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Mark that. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. See how he repeats himself? But I think it's on purpose, right? And it's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. 
For there are three that bear witness in heaven. Got to know your Old Testament to understand that part. Come on Wednesday nights. Although we're not doing the Old Testament currently. It's my little plug for Wednesday nights. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. The the, the apostle of love. How many times now has he called us or himself or Christians liars in the sense that their life will show, right? Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, help us (laughs) to understand what you have for us here and to see what you would uh, put in our hearts this week and to live out in our lives this week. Lord, we need your help. So, Come and do your work, would you please, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever, whoever believes. I'm going to say it again. Whoever believes. You know, I think the Scriptures teach that salvation is available to all. But you must access that salvation. If I was to give you the free gift of an iPad, it only becomes yours when you take it, access it, come receive it, right? Several places in the Bible, it talks about whoever or whosoever. Romans 10, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord might be saved. No, it doesn't say that. It says shall be saved. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive, and this is what every man, woman, boy, and girl needs. This is what everybody needs first, remission of sins. And without the shedding of blood, Hebrews tells us, there is no remission of sins. Correct? Yes. John 3.16, I bet some of you might know this scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, that whoever believes in him, whoever should not perish but have everlasting life. The scriptures are clear that salvation is for all. Why am I doing that? Not everybody believes that. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, but they must call upon his name. We said it here. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, look at this. Not just, we talked about this last week, not that they believe in Jesus, not they believe in the Messiah, but that they believe in totality, that Jesus is the Christ. He's fully God, Christos, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was to come, the one who was prophesied uh, by the prophets, the Messiah. He's the Messiah, the one who came to save his people. But he's also Jesus, just the normal guy, a guy, a, a man. And if you don't believe that, if we don't believe that together, we have problems. Because the sacrifice wasn't efficacious. It didn't have its intended effect, or it didn't have its effect of saving man and reconciling him to God. So it's ingenious. that the, How in the world we would all be thinking, how could a holy God make a, this a, an eternal sacrifice, but actually pay the penalty for humans? Oh, I know. 
Well, I wouldn't know, but God knew. I'll, I'll send my son to take on humanity, deity and humanity. Now, why am I going over this so much? Because the Gnostics didn't believe this. The people at the time, the people who were infiltrating the church thought that, one, maybe he was just man who received, one strain of it thought that he was just man who received Christ on the cross, but Christ left him before the death. Really strange, right? And he's combating that. And there's other people within the Gnostic camp who thought he was only God and his body was a phantom. It had to have been a phantom, they said, because all evil or matter is evil, which led that strain of Gnostics to separate and be very uh, condescending and very exclusive because only certain people can attain a level of spirituality separated from the body. And one of the ways that they would do that is they would beat that body into submission. That was one strain of that camp. The other strain of that camp say, well, golly, if the uh, uh, body is evil and only thing that matters spiritually, who cares what we do with our body? Let's go party. Let's go do whatever. I'll let your minds wander there. Think about it. It doesn't matter what we do because we're attaining a level of spirituality that, quite frankly, is only for the chosen few. And so it led to a split in the church. You aren't like us. We're way more spiritual. It happens in the church now. Legalists. Sin sniffers. You live down there because you don't, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, or go with girls who do. But you do, people say in the church. And so there's this separation even today. But this was causing major stuff. But he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, you must believe that. And here he said it back in the second chapter. Verse 22, who is a liar but he who not denies that Jesus is the Christ? You say, why are you going through all this? Because there's groups right now. Folks, they'll come to your door this week. They're standing down in Market Square this week. They're handing out tracts. They're giving you watchtowers. And they're saying that Jesus is not God. And you must be warned. And this is coming, folks, from the apostle of love. That's what he's known as, which means it's loving to tell you the truth, not loving to have you continue in error. Right? Okay, so you go back and you must believe something, that Jesus is the Christ. And when you believe that in the way in which the Bible says you must believe it, look at this. The first thing you, you notice right out of the gate in 1 John 5, 1 is that, man, praise the Lord that he does the work. I got to tell you, when I was born physically, I, I didn't do much of the work. It was mostly my mom and a little bit of my dad, and I was born. But I didn't do much work. See, that's important catch this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, listen, is born of God. He says it right there. You're born of God. In fact, Peter said this. Do you remember this? Peter says this. When you're born of God, catch this, this should stagger you. You're partakers of the divine nature. Hold on here. Are you saying we're little gods? No, that's not what we're saying. Jesus is God. We're human, but we've, we're partakers of the divine nature. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about that. We've received something of the divine nature. Not anything tangible or material. We haven't received some sort of essence in ourselves, but we do receive the spiritual nature and the spiritual outlook and the disposition, catch it, of God himself. You're partakers of the divine nature. Huh. Remember, what is one of the great important reasons that John wrote this book? Well, uh, we're, we're, we're finding out today his most important reason, that you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. But in the first chapter of John, he wants you, folks, listen to this, he wants you to have joy. <laughs> but he doesn't just want you to have joy. 
He wants your joy to be full, overflowing. And how he says that you can have overflowing joy is that you would know something when you're born of God, and that's this. You actually can have communion with God and with each other and with each other. There's real life. The life of Christ is pulsing in and out of each of you who've surrendered your life to Christ so that now when you come and eat your coconut donut downstairs, it's not just eating coconut donuts and talking about the Cubs and the Pirates and the, you know, whatever. No, no, no. You, you share something with the person you're eating with, and that's the life of Christ himself. How joyful is this? We can commune with God, and we can commune with each other. It's so beautiful. And uh, uh, going back to 1 John 5, he says, you're born of God. That's what people who are born of God understand. We understand this, that it's his work that does this. He births us. He, we're born of God. <laughs> We're his sons and daughters when we come into the kingdom of God, when we surrender our lives to Christ. And everyone who loves him who begot, do you know that? That's so, what a wild way of putting it. Everyone who loves Christ, in other words, who begot, also loves him who's begotten of him. We love him and we love the brothers. And look, it's the work of God to get you there. So beautiful. So remember what we said last week? Uh, I'm going to read you the quote again. Several of you reached out to me. You asked me for the quote. Uh, William Barclay, if I can find it in my notes, which I'm very much like John, so who knows if I can find it. <clears throat> William Barclay said this, Love has a double relationship to God. <laughs> remember, It's only by knowing God that we learn to love. And it's only by loving that we learn to know God. Wow. We're always so focused on ourselves and what we can conjure up. It's only by knowing God that we learn to love. And it's only by loving that we learn to know God. Spurgeon said, if you're worried about your love for God and for others, forget yourself And focus on God's love for you. And when you focus on God's love for you, it will beget, he actually says that in the quote, the love for which you wanted all along, love for him. (laughs) So beautiful. So when we go back, we see he who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten. And by this we know that we love the children of God. Isn't this funny? Think about this. So how... Do I really know if I'm faking downstairs while I'm eating my donut talking to you? Or when you call me on the phone, how, how do I and do we know that I'm, I'm being a poser, I'm faking, or I really have genuine love for you? This is funny to me. By this we know that we love the children of God. How's this? When we love God... And keep his commandments. (laughs) It's sort of like what every marriage, Christian marriage counselor of all time says, isn't it? Oh, how do I love my children? They feel so disconnected from my children. How how do I how do I love my children? And almost every marriage counselor, every Christian marriage counselor is going to tell you the same thing. Husbands, you want your kids to experience real love? Love your wives. Right? That's what he's saying right here. Well, if you want to know how, if I'm posing or not, am I a person that loves God and keeps his commandments? Like this one. Don't hold grudges. Oh. Ask for forgiveness. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Some of you are thinking right now, somebody you may have been holding a grudge against or something like that. Have you forgiven them? Have you gone to them? Have you talked to them? That's a commandment for us. So he says, when we love God and we keep his commandments, and there's a lot of other commandments, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice, which means basically rejoice all the time. 
Okay, well, what happens when I get fired or I find out I have cancer or my dog dies or whatever? Rejoice always. So when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God. How plain can, can John be here? For this is the love of God. You want to show God love? Well, focus on his love for you and do what he asks. And do what he asks when we love God and keep his commandments. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Doing what he asks. Okay, man, sounds like an ogre in the sky that just wants to have his thumb over top of you and uh, just, you know, just monitor everything you do and micromanage. That's what it sounds like. No, 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 that's not what this is talking about. See, God's will for you is perfect and pleasing to him. It's perfect. You can, um, uh, you know, as you give your life over to him, you discover that it's perfect and pleasing. You know, it's a pleasing, perfect love, his will for you. So when he's asking you to do something, you can always regard it as the safest and pla- uh, best place to ever be in the will of God for your life. You say, well, Lord, uh, come on. Uh, you know, I talked bad to, you know, Joe uh, three months ago. Joe's a guy. He's never going to remember. Why do you keep asking me to go Ask for forgiveness. (laughs) Because it's killing you. You might not even think it. You're to live a transparent life before all as an ambassador of Christ. This is the safest and best place to be. Go do it. Or whatever. I'm just picking one out. But here's the thing. His commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, if you'll come and yoke up with me. Remember this? I I know the picture. My mom, I think, used to have one of those yokes in our garage or something. You know what I'm saying? That old wooden yoke that just kind of goes over the neck of one livestock and over the neck of another, and they're tethered together by that yoke. Jesus said, if you'll yoke up with me, oh, you'll find that my burden is light. How could he say that? How could he say that? I've been talking to some of you over the last month. We've been saying this, so let's dissect it. Christianity is hard in some ways. You're asked to swim upstream, folks. Uh, You're asked to swim upstream. Hey, could somebody, Andy Mashenko, could you turn on the air conditioning a little higher back there? I see some hot people. Thank you so much. There's the thing right there. I'm hot. Some of you are like, oh, please don't do that. (laughs) 50's fine. You know what you have to do? You actually have to go to all three of them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Back there, they needed a 49 if you don't don't mind. But he he says you yoke up with him and your your burden is light. How how is it when when you're at work, you know, come on, you're at the Christmas party and, you know, the group that you're always with, the ones you work with, uh, they've got you in the corner and, you know, they want you to drink or whatever and you're not drinking and they already think you're quote-unquote weird and now they start telling the dirty joke. Come on, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right then, what do you have to do? you you got to swim upstream. And for a moment, not that it's any big deal, for a fleeting moment there, you're going to be perceived by the world, who cares, but you will. You'll be perceived by the world, world as really weird. And you don't like to be perceived as really weird. And the reason is, is because you're a people pleaser and your idol is yourself. But we all, I'm a people pleaser, so I'm pointing the finger to me. And he then reminds you that his bur- commandments aren't burdensome. His commandments aren't burdensome. Well, wait a minute. It's kind of, I, I can feel kind of funny at the Christmas party, Lord. Th- then you're, you're not getting something. You're considering commandments like, who, what must I do to please the Lord so he'll be happy with me? When in reality, the commandments of God that we respond to We do so not out of obligation. We do so out of love. You know, I said this, but many of you will do it, but it just has to make the point. If if one of you, I, I would do it, by the way, but catch the point. If one of you called me at four in the morning and 
you broke down, you know, down on 51, down by Bell Vernon or something, and you needed a ride, I I'd be really tempted to just give you my AAA number. <laughs> maybe not in a cheating way. Maybe we, I don't mean cheat AAA, but I'm just saying, the point is, I don't think I'd really want to come down there and help you. Oh, don't say aw, come on. <laughs> come on. But if your husband or your wife calls, although you'd be kind of miffed, no, I'm kidding. You'd go because you love them. It's different when it's somebody you love that way, right? I'm just trying to make the point. I'd come get you, trust me. <laughs> but when, it, when it's somebody you love and you, you do something for them, it's not burdensome. Remember when you were dating folks? Remember when you were dating and some of you, you had to send, you know, letters. We just send texts. But whatever, you just, whatever. I mean, it's just nothing was burdensome. You were just in love and you, oh, you know, just, oh, oh, you wrecked my car and, uh, you know, it's totaled. Oh, it's so fine. No problem. Because it wasn't burdensome to you now. You, you, the love overrided, overrode. Good. The obligation, you see, it wasn't burdensome at all. And that's what he's talking about here. When we hear the commandments of God, those who love uh, his children, uh, they love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. How do we show love God? That we keep his commandments. Why? Because the commandments aren't burdensome to us. We're in love. We love our dad. He's loved us so much. So we respond. We love. His commandments aren't burdensome to us. An immature Christian says, oh, no, what do I have to do? A mature, perfecting love says, what do I get to do, Lord? Anything. Where do you send me? I'll go. And that's what he's talking about here. And this is the victory. This is the victory that he has overcome the world, overcome the world. And we talked about what the world was, didn't we, for a long time. We talked about what... Uh, the world was, and it's set up against the faithful people. But this is the victory that he's overcome the world. Our faith. There's a trust. There's a dependence. There's a faith that gives us victory and uh, helps us uh, to overcome the world. Well, you can see this in the other scriptures. Listen to this. In John 16, same writer, Verse 33, it says, In the world you'll have tribulation. Don't stop there. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world, and as we abide in him, see, we're overcomers. How can we say we're overcomers? Do we say, oh, man, look at my faith. My faith is so wonderful, although faith must be used. It must be the key to unlock the treasure. But do we say, oh, look at my faith. My faith is so wonderful. No, we're overcomers because we're abiders. And we're in Christ. And John said, uh, you could, in 1 John 2, that you could overcome the wicked one. You would flee temptation. That's overcomers. By the way, in Revelation, the Revelation study, keeps kept keeping up with the Revelation study. In chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus promised to him who overcomes, I'm going to grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We're going to be ruling and reigning at the direction of Jesus Christ in the life to come. You're going to have a place in the administration, however that is. That's what overcomers do. You, we overcome because of the blood of Jesus, right? Not, and we, we stand up against Satan's deceptions. And you could look that up in Revelation 12, verse 11. But the reason I'm saying this is, what is the victory? Well, I just read them to you, that you can overcome the world, our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world? John's not just filling space here, folks, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully God, Jesus, or fully God, Son of God, fully man, Jesus. That's what we believe about him. And the Gnostics didn't. 
and he wanted them to. And he wanted his sheep never to stray over into the Gnosticism. And remember, Gnosticism came out of the church. They went out from the church. We learned that. So, so it wasn't like they're over there and we're over here and the, the battle lines are drawn. No, they were within the same fellowships. So it was important that they were able to distinguish these theological things. And John, who cares much for the sheep, make sure they know. This is he who came by water and blood. Now this one fascinates me. If you miss this, or if you just read it, you just kind of go, oh, okay, but you might be missing something. L listen, Deuteronomy 19, see, oh, Old Testament, says to settle a matter in the Jewish world under the law it had to be attested to. You stand up in court, I, you know, tell, promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, help me God, you know, you know that deal. It had to be established by, look, look, watch, two or three witnesses. Because really, the judge gets tired after about three. Well, you, what are you bringing him up for? Well, I'm going to have him tell you what the first three said. He, you know what the judge would say? Enough. By the way, just parenthetical, rabbit trail, Corinthians tells us there were 500 witnesses that Jesus spoke to after his resurrection. The judge had cut it off at three, no doubt. You wouldn't be able to get a fourth one up there. Here he says, uh, uh, the Bible says in two or three witnesses, a, a matter is settled. Now, I want you to catch this. It's kind of subtle. Watch this. This is he who came by water and blood. People have been debating what this means forever. There's lots of views. I think the best view is this, and I'll tell you why as we un, uh, un, unravel this. Uh, that John means that the water of Jesus is his baptism. And the blood, uh, obviously speaking of his crucifixion. Now, why do I say this? Because we're now, or John is now, as a good shepherd, trying to get those people on the fringes who don't believe, the ones who are a little bit skeptical, the scientific minds, maybe, uh, or maybe even the artistic minds, whatever. He's trying to get them to believe. And this morning in Foundations of Faith class, we kind of made this uh, 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 little story to, to talk about this. You know, you know what's funny about men? They, they hate to be told by their wives in the car how to drive. Oh, that's a, that's a dead, that's a solid fact. You know, GPS goes out, the sun is, you know, setting to the west, and you think you're going west, and she'll say, you're not going west, and you're like, well, I am going west, but blah, 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 right? You'll, you'll do anything. And, and to get you to stop... I mean, to get you to stop, that, there, there's no way you're stopping because you know how to get there, right? But you know what it is weird is what's really weird is you'll go down, maybe you go down to high a pile or something and you don't know how to get someplace. You, you, you'll like stop at the ranger station and somebody will be coming out of the, you won't even go into the ranger station. And you know, the person will be coming out of the ranger station. You don't know them from Adam. And you'll say, how do you get to this trail, and the personal, you know, go to that tree, and then go over here, and then, and, and you know, you don't even know whether they know what they're talking about or not, but you know what, you know what's weird, is you believe them. Or, or you go to the gas station down by Cooper's Rocks, man, my GPS went, guy. The, the gas station guy, he, he could know nothing about Cooper's Rocks, but he works at a gas station, and he tells you, blah, 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 and you're like, sweet, we know how to get to Cooper's Rock, man. You believe him. Here's what's wild, is God is telling you through his word, and look, here, hold on, and by two or three witnesses, which is God himself and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Christ, and there's people who won't believe him. We'll believe the gas station man or the people coming out of the ranger station, but we won't believe God himself. And here, John tries to put it to rest. He says this, he says, this is he who came by water and by blood. I think it means baptism. Do you know what happened at baptism? Jesus Christ got baptized. A lot of people say, why did he get baptized? Mainly to identify with us. He was never sinful. 
and also to give validity to John the Baptist's message. But check it out. What happened at baptism? What happened at baptism? There was this voice that came from heaven. It was God himself. What did he say? God himself, it says, if he testified, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Testimony. For everybody to hear, and people were there, and they heard it, and they wrote it down, and then after that, if that wasn't amazing enough, a dove came and went, boom, and sat right on his shoulder. In other words, the Holy Spirit testified to this one who was the Son of God, which meant he was deity. They might have been scratching their heads. Why is he getting baptized? God said, I'll clear it up. I'll speak. Testimony. There's the first thing. And we won't believe him. And he says, well, not only by water, but by blood. Catch it now. Catch it. Uh, God himself in John 12, 28 said this about the coming cross. I have both glorified it, his name, and I will glorify it. How? When Jesus died and rose again. Guess what God the Father's doing? Testimony. You see it? He's giving testimony. He wants you to know. He wants you to know that this is true and has been testified not only by water, but by water and by blood. And then he says, okay, you don't believe the Father? Well, how about this? Also, it is the Spirit who bears witness. What is the ministry of the Spirit? You can look it up in John 18 and 16. Ministry of the Spirit is just to point people to Jesus. You get that? Now, here's another parenthetical. So if your spiritual gifts are leading to you being noticed more than the Lord being noticed, you got problems. I got problems. But anyway, he's pointing people to Jesus. It's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is what? Truth. Testimony. Now I got to do some business with you. You got to hold on to this thought for about five minutes. Guess what? This is going to shock some of you. This verse, the next verse, probably should not be included in the Bible. Oh, don't be upset. Come on. Don't be upset. There's this verse here. It says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That verse probably shouldn't be in the Bible. What do you mean? Well, it's some sort of marginal note that found its way in the 1500s into the Bible, okay? So you who want to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses or to Mormons, don't fret. The Bible teaches the Trinity with or without this verse. But in the spirit of intellectual honesty, I want you to know that in the first few hundred years of Christianity, there were debates about the nature of the Trinity, and this verse, 7 and 8, never quoted, or these verses, never quoted. But it's probably what happened. Here's probably what happened, okay? Don't, be, don't fret. I can see some of you fretting. This is probably the work of a real zealous copyist who thought that the New Testament needed to be boosted in the Trinity. It doesn't, by the way. And he thought maybe it's a good idea to include this, or maybe these were just notes written in the margin of a manuscript. But I could point you to several places in the Bible that talks about the Trinity, Matthew 3. If you want the list, I'll give them to you. So how'd they get included? I'm going to read you a statement from another pastor. The words were included in an ancient Latin version of the Bible, version of the Bible in the year 1520. A guy named Erasmus produced a new edition of the Bible in ancient Greek, and when people studied his Bible and compared it to the Latin version, they noticed he left out this passage, and they criticized for him. When he was criticized, he said, You won't find these words in any ancient Greek manuscript, but if you find me one Greek manuscript with the words in them, I'll include it in my next printing. So someone discovered a manuscript 
uh, with the words in them, but it wasn't, wasn't an ancient manuscript at all. This Erasmus, that was his name, knew this, but had already promised to add the words if someone found a manuscript. So in 1522, he actually added the words into the 1522 King James Version edition. But he did add a footnote saying he thought that the new Greek manuscript had been written on purpose just to embarrass him. Isn't that like uh, human nature? So this passage is called, I don't know how to spell, say this. Somebody smarter than me tell me. Johannine comma. And there's only three Greek manuscripts. So the point is, this probably shouldn't be in there, but it got in there. And the reason I'm pointing this out to you, I would have jumped by it. There's going to be a Jehovah's Witness that you're going to talk about, and they're going to point to this and say, see, see, you guys manufactured this. But that's not true. You could take out seven and eight, and it does nothing to the doctrine of the Trinity. It does nothing. This was just some overzealous guy making notes in his margin that God included but maybe what this should more accurately read, there are three that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. See, here's that. Here's the, here's the thing. The idea then becomes the testimony of two or three witnesses affirms that Jesus is God. You don't need seven and eight to do that. God did all the work. And so the, I'm taking you through all of that because I want you to know it. I don't want you to be surprised. Okay. Now back. <laughs> you guys are somber about that. <laughs> don't be somber. <laughs> We've known it for years, okay? <laughs> We've known it for years. Okay. So here we go. If we receive the witness, verse 9, of men, well, the witness of God is greater. Just like my little story about how we'd ask the gas station attendant. We'll ask the gas station attendant. We'll give him our pin code because he gave us uh, the right directions, right? We don't even know the guy. We're so thankful. He knows how to get there. And yet we won't believe the testimony of God himself and the Spirit. By the way, how else does the Spirit bear witness? How does the Spirit bear witness, as I remember? Well, the Bible tells us that your spirit if you're born of God, bears witness with his spirit. Remember that? Your spirit bears witness with his spirit. You now can cry, Abba, Father. Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You say, well, I've never heard the voice of God. Yeah, you have, if you're a Christian. And I know you have. I don't care if it's audible or not because you've read the Bible. And when you've cared because the Holy Spirit made you care or asked you to do something, guess what? You've heard the word of the Lord. If something's agitating you right now in the best way, in the healthy way, and you know it's from the Holy Spirit through his, God's word, you're born of God. Anytime some people come to me after reading 1 John, they do it all the time. They got faces with big silver dollar eyes. You know what they're saying to me? Oh my, am I even saved? And the very fact that they're worried tells me something that God's working in them. Now, I am not a judger of who's saved or who not, but when you hear the verse, word of the Lord through the, the word and you submit to it, oh, there it is, the three or one. And uh, uh, we receive the witness of men, but the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Can you believe that's in there? What he's saying here is now you have been given the testimony of God himself. Oh. You have been given the testimony of God himself. And what happens if you deny now? You've made God a liar in a sense. Are you saying that God is lying? That's what the Bible says, not me. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He is my name is glorified, but it will be glorified. He's going to die and rise again and give you access to me. And this is the testimony that he's given us eternal life, life in the Son, and he who has the Son. Look, even it's funny because even I can figure out verse 12. 
It's that plain. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You understand that's a term of closeness, intimacy. This doesn't mean, do you know all the facts about Jesus Christ? This means, unlike the Gnostics, do you know God and have you experienced him? Not just know about him. There are Christians that are filling churches 50 years, 60 years. They know all the facts about Jesus, and they still don't know him. Here he's saying, do you know God? If you know God, you have eternal life. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Somebody here once, uh, down during fellowship, said, well, you just really can't know if you have eternal life. I said, really? Jeez. This guy knew the Bible. I'm like, well, that's weird, because John tells you you can, right, in 1 John 5. These things I have written to you to believe in the name that you may know that you have eternal life. And you know what? When you know, you, you know how sometimes when you have knowledge, knowledge and cre- you know, what, what, what's that thing? Anyway, knowledge, you know, gives you power and power. And what does power do? When I have knowledge over somebody, I can look down upon them. I mean, I know and you don't. That's not this kind of knowledge. <laughs> it's the opposite for us. We know, but we know we were born of God, which means he did it. We did nothing. We just came out. <laughs> so it's a humble knowing. It's a confident knowing. It's a, it's a stable knowing. When you know, you're stable. Look, he goes on to say it. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us. Do you know that? I wonder, some people, right? I wonder if some people know this. Do we, do we know that when we ask according to his will, that he hears us? He's there. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. Now, let's break this down just real quick. Uh, let's break this down real quick. What, what is it? We can ask anything. Do you see that? This is the confidence that we have. We can ask anything according to his will. He hears us. We have confidence in that. We can ask anything. We can go to him in anything. By the way, I was talking to Jan about this the other day. I'm, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings right here. What would you say? we can ask him anything but i'm not of the camp that says go and yell at the lord if you're mad at him (laughs) i'm just not in that camp i'm not going to tell you to go yell at the lord and be blasphemous i hate that advice Yes, I understand what the person who's giving the vice is trying to say. God's big enough to handle our doubts. Of course. God's big enough to handle our frustrations. Of course. God's big enough uh, to handle our fears. Of course. God's big enough to handle our anger. Of course he is, but I think he's still God. And you're not, and neither am I. And I just think when we're praying, of course be honest with him. Lord, I feel disappointed. But to stand up and scream at him, I just ain't in that camp. You can go to him with anything. You can talk about everything that you're hurting, including maybe if you feel hurt by him. Yes, but there's a way to me that you do that. Just saying. That's a, that one is free. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. See, we're to ask according to his will. And the first thing he says is, listen, this is his will for you. There are things that can hinder your prayers. You know this? The one I hate to read about is when I'm mean to my wife. Then i got to go apologize to her. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke, folks. It's a joke. (laughs) Golly. But that's in there. When you don't live in understanding with your spouse, 
I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. Hindered prayer. But you're saying, well, I'm not married. (laughs) Well, God covers you too. (laughs) When you have something against the person, when you have something against the person, he says drop everything and go get it right with that person. As much as it's up to you, the Bible says as much as as possible it is to you to live in peace, go get it right with that person. That's why I'm always harping on uh, holding, holding grudges and all those things. Put your stuff down and go. Your prayers could not be answered because of that. Maybe you're in some sort of sin. And he says, confess your sin. He's faithful and just. But he wants you to acknowledge the sin and repent of it. So there are things that can hinder maybe your prayers. Not maybe, can hinder your prayers. But then, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, his will is perfect and you can know it. And you start to mature. See, that's why you have confidence. You start to mature. And you start to ask things according to his will. You know, when I first started, Lord, give me the, uh, I need a $110,000 SUV. I got kids to take around, Lord. And I need the one with the sunroof and all the extras. I need that. That might have been my prayers when I first began. But as the Lord has matured us, right, as the Lord matured us and we've seen his will, Lord, our our, will, Our will gets in line with the Lord's will. And this just becomes easier. It's like a rhythm you're in with the Lord. It just becomes easier. You know his will. And so you're praying the things of the Lord, like salvation for somebody. That's the will of God. Lord, help me to rejoice. Rejoice always. Lord, help me. I need to uh, not feel alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And look, you base them, these prayers, on his uh, promises. You claim his promises. You don't just claim something out of the air. I need a Lexus with a sunroof, uh, preferably smoke gray. <laughs> no, you ask according to his will. Uh, I'm going to butcher it. I, have, I left the, uh, oh man, I left the uh, quote in, um, in my office, so I'm tired and I'm going to butcher it. But George Mueller, if you know his life, oh my goodness. This guy who made all these orphanages and he never took money for, didn't ever took donations. He was convicted. I'm just going to rely upon the Lord to speak to other people and help us. And he did it for all these years and built all these things. And he said, people got this backwards. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. They think praying is overcoming God's reluctance when really it's laying hold of his willingness to bless you. I butchered it a little bit, but I'll get you the quote. So here, this is the confidence. Why is this in here? Because when you know who Jesus is, when you know who Jesus is, it transforms your prayer life. That you'll have confidence. You could ask anything according to his will. And you know that he hears us. And you know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions. We claim the promises uh, that we have asked of him. And look at this. You're praying the will of God via the character of God. (laughs) You're calling upon his character. Okay. So then why is this next thing in here? If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask. There's prayer. (laughs) Ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now, you know this, right? If you've been going to church for any length of time, people are debating what these sins are. What is it that excludes a brother? What is it that keeps a brother in? And maybe that's true. There is some, uh, there is some uh, indications uh, uh, that the Lord is not going to strive with us forever. There is some indications in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, that the Lord's not going to strive for us forever. And if you just continue and persist in habitual, listen to what I'm saying, practical life, or not practical, habitual lifestyle of sin, just thumbing your nose at God, if you continue in that, there is some indication in the Scriptures that maybe God's just going to take you home. That's sobering, right? But I don't think that's what it's talking about. You be a Berean here. Here's what I think it's talking about. You see, there were some brothers in the church, I've referred to them already, 
They're in uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 19. These were brothers that went out from us, sisters too, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. I think they're false prophets here. And I think this fits right here. This is me. You can have a different view. But I think it fits right here. Listen, the false prophets he's talking about, and how could he speak in such harsh language? Because you take what you already know from the Bible. You know there's one sin that excludes you. And that's the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, right? If you reject the Holy Spirit in your life, if you reject the witness of God himself and the Spirit, if you reject it, that Jesus is the Christ, if you reject it, listen, there's a, there's a sin that leads to death. And that sin, as uh, set forth in the gospel, is the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Rejection of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what I think that is. You're welcome to have a different opinion. But I think it fits. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. What's that? Repent and come back from your false prophet life. Well, here you go. I know. It's late. It's a little hot. Andy made it cooler. Hang in here. I I can't believe that John, he is such an artist with a right brain that just glides from, it's just so subtle. I would have never ended a letter like this, but boy, he did. We know that whoever is born of God doesn't sin. Heard that before? (laughs) Yeah, about 20 times. It's not that you don't sin. It's that your inclination now is not to sin because you are a lover of God because he first loved you. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one doesn't touch him. Now listen, this is tricky. Jesus wasn't born, but he was born. You know what I'm saying? He's always been, but he came out of the heavens and he had a mom. And the wicked one couldn't cling to him. That's what this is. And for those who are abiding in Christ, the wicked one, he can send fiery darts, but he can't hold on. You abide in Christ. Now, we know that we are of God and the whole world uh, lies under the sway of the wicked one. In fact... If you're not in the kingdom of God, I have news for you. You're in the kingdom of darkness. You just are. I was too. You can find that in Colossians 1 through, uh, 13. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. Man, that's, uh, I want you to go home and contemplate that for a week. When you become a Christian, the Son of God gives you an understanding. There's an understanding that you start to have. Don't you remember before, you read the, or before when you read the Bible and you'd read it? I remember somebody in my family reading the Bible before they were a Christian coming to me and saying, I don't know why you read that book because I get nothing out of it. Exact quote, I get nothing out of it. Of course. But now that you're in the family of God and you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit yourself, this book says, and he teaches and guides you and leads you, look at this, he starts, he doesn't start, he gives you an understanding. And what's the goal of the understanding? Not that you can recite the five points of Calvinism or the Arminianist doctrine, not that. Uh, Not that you can get all the charts out about eschatology and compare the four views and, oh, I know it all and I'm so great at that. No, no, no. Not that you can describe all the covenants and the unilateral covenant and the eternal covenants. Yes, it's good to know, but not that. Not all the uh, prophecies that's going to happen. Not all that. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. What? Here it comes to end. It's like the big crescendo. You already know it. But it's that you and I and we may know him. Look at this. Who's true. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Jesus Christ is truer than true. He's the truth. There is no better, there is no more truth than Jesus. You can 
put yourself into philosophy. You can put yourself into education. You can put yourself into hard work. That's all good stuff in and of itself, but none of it's true like Jesus is true. Jesus is the truth, and we are in him who is true. He gives you an understanding of this truth in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God and eternal life. It's not, again, a Jesus that we make up. And this is what I can't believe. I would have just said, God bless you guys. Sincerely, Tim. Here's his parting shot. Hey, little children. Why? Because he loves his people. Keep yourself from idols. What? It's like, you know, when you first read this, it's like you're going, well, that's a big thud. (laughs) But it's not a big thud if you think about it. What interferes with your affections for God? (laughs) The idols you put in your life. Why do you think I just said that about people-pleasing? There's the number one in America, people-pleasing. Just watch news tonight. I want to be liked by people, which makes me the idol. I'm, my nature and character and name is more important than God's character and name. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll be reviled. We get reviled and run into our room and close the door and say, oh, man, I'm never coming out. He said, keep yourself from idols. And you say, well, gee, you know. What? Well, the Bible tells us in the poetry that you become what you worship. The Bible says that. You become what you worship. So do you want to come, become more like yourself, people pleaser? Uh, do you want to become more like the sports you idolize or the music or the, the, the job or the money or the sex? What is it? Fashion, what is it that holds your affections more than the Lord? Whatever it is that holds your affections more than the Lord, and only you know what that is, he says destroy them. He's not being some weird pastor. It's got some weird ego trip. No, he knows that idols will let you down every time. I was listening to a story of a pastor, and we'll close on this of a girl who was in therapy. Uh, She was in her 40s. She trained to be a classical violinist. And she wanted more than anything to be a classical violinist, but it didn't pan out. And she wound up in therapy uh, basically her whole life. And the therapist uh, went to bring in the parents. He thought he had the classic case of what was wrong with, you know, the lady. The parents were overbearing. They had her, their thumb on the person, uh, the girl. And uh, so when she had failed, she had failed her parents, and he had it right. But he came to find out through several weeks of therapy that this girl had lovely, wonderful, accepting, beautiful parents that never put any pressure on her at all. What the therapist then uh, uh, continued to do as he dealt with the girl is to find out, no, she didn't want to please her parents and her parents were idle. What she loved was giving pleasure to her parents more than anything in the world, and it became her idol. Good thing, not a bad thing, right? Of course you want to please your parents. See, but the problem with, with any idol that you ever pick, it can never be forgiving towards you. It can never be life-giving to you. It's never deserving of your honor and glory and adoration. In other words, any idol that you ever pick, that you ever pick, it's always going to at some point, or it's going to at some point let you down. So Jesus, not on an ego trip, says, let's fix this. Let's love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then we'll have the ability to go and love our neighbors as ourselves. See, these things aren't bad that become idols. 
necessarily. But when they take the place of God himself, they become huge problems. So what John says here is he's parting as we're going on. He says, keep yourself away from all of that. It's okay to like sports. It's okay to like music. All of that stuff. It's okay. It's okay. But don't let anything surpass the Lord. So what is it, folks? Think about it. You let things surpass the Lord? Do I let things surpass the Lord? I'm going to tell you something. I could watch ESPN before COVID 24-7 if I let myself. I never get tired of it. Ask my wife. I'll watch the highlights and watch them again. And then I'll watch them again. And I'll talk about them and love them. And I, I can get into that mode so easily. But it's so destructive. An idol will always let you down. Well, let's pray as we move on. Well, Lord, we do. We thank you for this book. It is a glorious book. Lord, sometimes we think he's repeating himself, and really you're just using his personality to make the points that you want to make. And so we pray, Lord, that as we move forward, as we move forward, uh, Lord, you would fill us afresh with the love you have for us, that we could go out and really love people here today and moving forward. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.